Listener Production. This is From Zero, conversations with business founders. I'm Adam Schwab, co-founder of LuxuryEscapes.com, financial journalist, author, and angel investor. With my best mate from school, we co-founded Luxury Escapes, and the business has grown to turn over almost a billion dollars annually. In this episode, you ask me the questions in what we call Ask Adam Anything. If you're a budding entrepreneur, established founder, or business professional, and want to ask us a question, please send a voice recording to info at fromzeropodcast.com, and we'd love to get you on the show. Now, on to our first question. Hey, Adam. Daniel here from Brunswick East. Just wanted to know, what are your general thoughts on NFTs? Because we're seeing things like the absolute crash and Justin Bieber lost over a million dollars. You know, Logan Paul lost a lot of money as well. Do you think that they're an absolute waste of money and time or do you think it's going to bounce back and still be a worthy investment? Thank you, Daniel from Brunswick East. Really insightful question. Such a topical question. I think if you'd asked this question, call it, six months ago or certainly a year ago, you would have probably got a slightly different answer. Although I've never been a I've never been a fan of, of NFTs or, or crypto in general. I've actually got some sympathy for for something like Bitcoin. And and the leaving aside the price which which got to just sort of irrational levels. Uh, if you look at what Bitcoin tries to do is Bitcoin sees uh, the issue with what's called fiat money. So I'll give you a really crash crash course in, in the history of money. So fiat money is created by governments around the world and it used to be backed by gold. So till, till about 1930 or so, the US, uh, the US government notionally had gold in Fort Knox that equaled its money supply. So basically what would happen is the US couldn't go and print money because it wouldn't uh, have the gold for it and other countries would demand the gold back and it would act as an automatic adjuster. Problem is, governments. And I think FDR or Franklin Roosevelt was the first to see this. Is when you have the the, go, the gold standard as a as a kind of safe keep, governments can't do what they want. So governments progressively over the last sort of ninety years went further and further away from effectively the gold standard. And now it's it's almost impossible to go. Pretty much is impossible to go back. It, the final link was severed in nineteen seventy one by a guy called Richard Nixon, who was the controversial president. But anyway, leaving that aside, so then what happened is, is governments, and especially the US, but some government, other governments as well, if you have control over your currency, could print more and more money to, to fund stuff. And the problem with that is, if you keep printing money, you get something called inflation. Inflation makes everything really bad. I won't, won't go into great detail on inflation, but you've probably heard about it recently. There's lots of inflation around, especially in the EU and US and Australia as well. So so inflation bad, money printing bad, fiat currencies become less and less valuable over the years. So if you look at what a dollar in the US is worth in 1910, it's like one cent now. It's completely degraded. So what Bitcoin fans said is, hold on, the dollar's really bad. And what a guy, I forget the name, had a, had a moniker, I think, Nakimoto or Ed, you know, do you know the Bitcoin founders, Monica, he'll find it. Uh, so a, a guy who, anonymous guy, there's people who, who claim he's, he's this person in, 19, in 2009 wrote a white paper on what was Bitcoin and used a really smart mathematical algorithm that allows you to to mine or create this mathemat solve mathematical challenges uh, to find to, to create Bitcoin. Anyway, long and the short of it is Bitcoin is an alternative in some ways to what we call fiat currency in that it's not created by government. So you can't just print Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin's a bit like digital gold, people call it. Uh, the issue about Bitcoin is it's gone from sort of a cent or, or 50 cents to hit 
67,000 US uh, about a year ago. So I had this ridiculous run up that really wasn't linked to anything. And the other problem with Bitcoin is, or two problems, one, it takes an incredible amount of power to essentially create it. So as Bitcoin becomes more and more complex, as the mathematical questions become more and more complex, you need more and more power. So Bitcoin uses, I think it's a couple of percent of the world's energy supply now to mine it. And a lot of mining was done in China until they banned it. Uh, and so it tends to get done where there's, where there's cheap electricity, often, uh, some often renewable electricity, which is, which can be cheaper. Uh, so problem one, Bitcoin is it uses incredible amount of power. Problem two is it's not really a transactable currency in that, if you look at, it, I think I think Mastercard can pr- uh, produce thirty thousand transactions a second. I think Bitcoin something like twenty. So it's really hard to use it. Whilst it could arguably be a store of value because it's a limited supply, it's really hard to use Bitcoin to transact. It's, it's pretty difficult to go up to uh, your local corner store and transact in Bitcoin. And there's people and businesses like Square have tried to do it, but so there's problems with Bitcoin. But a big Bitcoin at least notionally has some utility as an alternative to fiat currency because fiat currency is inherently flawed. Uh, so that's the good thing about Bitcoin. The bad thing about Bitcoin is becoming speculative, ridiculous. I wouldn't even call it an asset. You have charlatans and criminals like Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX, which you would have heard of, who have taken this, what inherently should have been a, a, a relatively stable store of value and turned into this giant casino. So what, what we're finding about FTX, which was the third largest exchange uh, uh, for, for cryptocurrency behind uh, Binance and Coinbase, is it was a complete fraud, essentially. It was essentially Bernie Madoff times three or four or five or, or 10 potentially. So we've got all, and, and this, and and FTX had notionally saved a bunch of other frauds. So you've got frauds buying fraud. So there's a, it's a real question on, on if, whether the highly levered cryptocurrencies will survive. On the side of that, your question was on NFTs or non-fungible tokens, which is a little bit different. So the similarities between uh, crypto and, and NFTs, they both work on something called a blockchain, which is effectively a public or private uh, register of who owns the asset. So somebody came up with the idea that, hold on, we can we can put a sort of store of value like Bitcoin on a, on a blockchain. Why don't we put other asset, other uh, non what we call non uh, fungible assets uh, on, on this thing called a blockchain? So if you think of uh, one of the famous ones is we've got digital artwork. So essentially JPEGs uh, become what we call NFTs and they become transactable and sellable and, and you, you've got what's called a, a, record, a public record. So the beauty of it is that if you think of a, an artwork, you can forge an artwork. Uh, it's, it's, you can't notionally forge an NFT. So NFTs essentially became uh, what a lot of people uh, see as an, as an alternative to artwork. And I'm actually a, a shareholder and director of a business called Blue Thumb and, and Blue Thumb started uh, trading in, NFT, in NFTs, uh, basically using uh, uh effectively a public register. So, and, and it was actually pretty difficult because a lot of people don't know about it. Um, I think it's Open Sky. Is that right? At Open Sky, the, the main uh, exchange uh, for NFTs. OpenSea. OpenSea. So, we were close. Nature related. Yeah. So, OpenSea. So, essentially, where, where crypto, uh, where NFTs, I should say, really caught wind was uh, the Bored Ape Yacht Club. So, a really smart business. A, a, couple, a couple of people thought of a really good idea of they, they combined effectively celebrity and NFTs and gave all these NFTs to celebrities. They also, so they effectively created these cool looking JPEGs called Bored Apes. There was a bunch of imitators came after that. These Bored Apes then got credibility through celebrity. 
uh, so a bunch of celebrities started owning it, the likes of the likes of Bieber and those kind of guys uh, started owning it. A bit like artwork. So if you think about art, how artwork gets its value. Artwork, artwork got its value from celebrity as well. So you appear in the forum in Paris and rich people buy you and, and suddenly an art, artist becomes in favour. It's a bit similar with NFTs. And, and Bored Apes are that classic example and the price of Bored Ape brought um, board apes skyrocket. I think you paid millions of dollars for this board ape. Essentially, it was a JPEG that only you could own, although technically you can screenshot it. But a lot of people would use these JPEGs as um, on handles or whatnot. So this sort of board ape uh, revolution started and people started copying it. But we've seen this massive drop in, in the value of NFTs. NFTs are ba- NFTs also generally based on Ethereum, which is the main competitor to, to Bitcoin or the, the second biggest crypto. Ethereum slumped as well, like Bitcoin, sort of down 70, 80%. So ultimately the heat has really come out of the NFT market. Uh, some advocates for NFT, and I've never been an NFT fan because I just haven't seen the value in it. And not simply that, that the digital JPEG doesn't have value, but I just don't see the utility, uh, and and people disagree with this. And I know Scott Galloway's talked about on his show uh, creating NFT. Someone like Stanford could create an, mint an NFT and sell that NFT. You could potentially buy an NFT to Stanford, uh, which gives you right to tuition and right to your kids having tuition and the rights to courses through your life. So that NFT has value. You could sell that to somebody else, and it goes up and down with the the how people value a Stanford education. So maybe that's true, but you could actually do that without an NFT. You could do that right now. Stanford could sell a membership without an NFT, maybe you couldn't transfer it as easily, but ultimately the, I haven't really heard of any great utility from NFTs and uh, such that a business is valued by how much customers value that that product they're selling. And I'm not sure there's any real value in NFTs. I think there's minimal, but some value in Bitcoin. How you value that value is a different question because this became this speculative tool. Uh, so overall, there probably will be some value coming from the blockchain in general, because ultimately a public ledger is a pretty good idea. The problem is I haven't seen much thus far to justify that. And, and the reason I, I've never invested in anything related to Bitcoin, and really the reason I never did, even when you sort of saw it going up, is because everybody who I think is smart, the Warren Buffetts, the Charlie Mungers, the Ray Dalios, all didn't like Bitcoin. And everybody who liked it was everybody's just a little bit shady. So you got the, a bunch of people who promoted Bitcoin are in jail. It looks like Sam Bankman-Fried's probably going to jail. Uh, there's there's question marks over the Winklevosses. Um, th- there aren't many legitimate people left in crypto, if there ever were. Uh, and generally, people who are who are promoting it are probably not the kind of people who I'd 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 back. Whereas people who I'd love to back the the Buffett to this world just didn't like it. So I think you, you can tell a lot about an asset class by who's promoting it and who's not. And if you look at crypto, the wrong people were promoting it, and the wrong pe- and the right people were were demoting it in some way. So. Hope that answers your question, Daniel. A great question, a timely question, and one that will certainly play out over the next year. My, my prediction is the Bitcoin, for what it's worth, not financial advice, is Bitcoin probably drops to low single digits. Uh, as I, I think I tweeted last week, I think the last two cha- uh, uh, last two big exchanges, Binance and, and Coinbase, while they're not clearly the um, criminal enterprise that FTX was, uh, they essentially are like banks and there's no central bank to support them. So if there is a run, which we've seen with every crypto exchange so far, because people just eventually lose confidence because it's so highly levered. Uh, if there is a run, even genuinely pretty good institutions could go down. So my thinking is tether goes, which is, which is a, a story for another episode that could take down Binance, Coinbase, which means there's really just cold storage left. So that'd be interesting to see. I think it goes down. I could be wrong. Could be 100 grand next year. Let's wait and see and, and revisit this. Thanks, Daniel. 
Hi, Adam. This is Bonnie. Um, I run a brand called Rising Violet Press, and it's a small retail brand. And I work full time in a nine to five, so I only really have time to do it in my free time. And the business is going really well, but I feel like if I'm not putting the effort into it, it kind of limits how much it can grow. So I was wondering if you had any advice on scalability and how I can grow my business while keeping my regular job too. Thank you, Bonnie. What a great question. Uh, And congratulations on the business. I'm just looking at the website now. It looks great. Sells some fantastic sort of merch, uh, often based around LGBTI. So I think it's it's a fantastic uh, niche, uh, hopefully a more than niche soon, and, and looks like a, a really nice site, some really great products. So again, congratulations on the business and, and nothing better than seeing sort of young entrepreneurs who who are taking the chance and taking the plunge. Uh, and obviously you've got a full-time job. Uh, I'm not sure what that job is. And that, that actually would sort of really guide what else, what I'd say. So I tend to like to personalize these answers, but you just listening to your voice, you sound relatively young, which is great. So the best time to, to start a business is if you're young. Uh, the second best time to start a business is, is now. Because uh, ultimately, if you don't have a go, you don't have a go. So you, you, it's a bit like I use that old uh, nightclub analogy. If you, if you see that great person across a nightclub floor, uh, if you don't ask them, you'll never get a yes and you'll, you'll always get a no. So it's a bit like a bit the same with a business. Uh, if you don't give it a chance, you, you'll, never get a, you'll never get a yes. That said, business isn't for everyone. I think what you've done is really smart. It's what we did. When, we, when Jeremy and myself started our first businesses, we both had our first business. We both had a full-time job. I was a lawyer. Jeremy was a banker. Uh, we probably spent about five months. This is back in 2004, just giving giving away my age a little bit. We were pretty young at the time. But when we started our first our first business, I was working full-time as a lawyer, probably for about s- just under six months. And this, call it our side hustle. Side hustle didn't exist then. But what, what was our side hustle? We thought this could be a good idea, but we just weren't sure. Uh, and actually, I think Jez went away on holiday for a couple of months in between. So we started we started what we, was our first ever business, which was a backpacker apartment business. We didn't have that much capital because that was the beauty of the business. We knew we could start a business without that much capital. But we also knew that we just weren't sure if, there was, if we had what's called product market fit. And again, product market fit didn't exist as a term back then. It came 15 years later, but we were searching for what is product market fit. That is, would our customers pay us more for the product we're selling than it cost us? which is essentially what product market fit is. It's a fancy way of saying, are you, are you making a marginal profit on every unit you sell? So the beauty of, of sort of running a side hustle for a, for a period is you can, you can just test if you've got product market fit. You can do a little bit of marketing. You can sort your product out. You can get your website started. You can tell, are people willing to pay what I'm charging for these, for these products? And, and the fact that you've started this great website with great products and are making sales and it's going really well is a fantastic sign. And it means you probably do have some sort of product market fit. Now, so the question is, for you is, I don't know how much you're earning now and how much you may earn over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, because essentially that's what you're competing against. You've got, you've got what you're selling is your time. So you can sell your time to an employer and they'll pay you $50,000 a year, $200,000 a year, whatever they're paying. Maybe they'll give you some equity. Maybe they won't. Probably not. Most people don't get equity if you work for a big company. So what you're doing is you're trading your time for somebody else's money. And the employer presumably is getting more value for your time than, than, than you're giving in terms of time so that they're making money off you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be employed or unless you work at FTX, a bit different. But for most, for most employers, they're paying you less than what they're valuing you at because obviously otherwise it wouldn't make sense to employ someone. So they're valuing your time. So you need to value your time as well. So you need to compare. If I can earn $100,000 at, at BHP 
uh, or if I can earn $100,000 on my own business, what is a better way to, for me to spend my time? And you've got to then look at, well, in five years' time, what can I earn at BHP versus how big will my business be and how much am I investing in that business? Because usually you need some sort of capital because in your case, you're buying stock and inventory and setting a website. That's capital. So that's, that's money out of your pocket that you could be investing elsewhere. So there's lots of different decisions you need to make. So you need to work out what is going to give me the, the higher present value of future cash flow. So you need to value your your time like like an investor, like I would value a business. So I'm, so if you think I'm going to make $100,000 for my business now, but in 10 years' time, I can make a million dollars from that business and you effectively discount those cash flows back f- for your time essentially because you could, remember you could be earning more at, at BHP, uh, then, you, then you look at what gives me more money and satisfaction because money isn't the only thing. A lot of people, it's more satisfying working for yourself than somebody else. Not always, but but often. And then you got to work out just what's better. And then the second thing to consider is working for yourself is, is and I'm a bit biased. I think working for yourself is far more satisfying than working for somebody else. You're building your own capital. It's much more enjoyable. You still, you still have a boss and your boss is your shareholders, which could be yourself or your customers. So you're always, you've always got a boss. So it's not, even if you don't work for someone specifically, you still have a boss. That's something you always need to remember as well. So there's all these different little decisions that come together and you always have two columns. What What is better for me? What's better for me financially? What's better for me lifestyle-wise? There's also a risk factor. So if you're working for somebody, it's 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 not super risky, yet you absolutely may get fired. So I think people forget about that because they had this record unemployment. So you may get fired. So that's something to absolutely consider, but let's assume you won't get fired for now. So there is, there's obviously less risky to, to stay employed at your BHPs, uh, but it's, but it's also more enjoyable potentially not to work for someone uh, who's, who's watching you all the time. So there's all these different decisions you need to put in when starting a business. The biggest one is financial security because no point doing something that you love that doesn't make any money and then you, you can't afford to, to eat ramen. So there's all these different decisions you need to make, weigh them up, one final one to consider is, is generally owning your own business is, is more tax effective. The reason being is our tax system favors capital gains over income tax. So what I mean is if you earn income tax, you pay what's called the marginal rate. So if you're earning more than $150,000 a year, you start paying sort of 30, 40, 50% tax. If you own a business, A, you obviously can pay yourself dividends, but when you sell the business, if you're lucky enough to sell the business, you can generally get called a capital gains discount. So if you, or if you, or if you sell the business to investors and you pay half the rate. So it's usually sort of half of what you pay on income tax level. So it's much more tax effective to own a business. And there's a lot of other tax effective stuff you can do. So obviously you can't break tax laws, but you can structure your, your affairs probably better if you own a business. That's another sort of tick in the box of owning a business. But all that comes down to having a successful business. No point having a tax optimized business that makes losses. So uh, essentially what, what, what I always say, you're at a really interesting point now is the two things I always tell sort of uh, entrepreneurs to do, whether young or old, is is two things. One, don't force an idea. Wait till an idea comes to you, and, and you've ticked that box. You've you've done. You've seen an idea. You've seen a market. You've launched that. You've had great success so far. Box one ticked. Great, great start. Second box is if your idea is really good, and you see product market fit, you do. I always say go full on into it. So take a leave of absence or, or resign from your job, and give it six months. Uh, and really go hard. Unless you go really, like, so you've done that side hustle bit, which is great, and which which I think is a, is a really smart way to test product market fit. But once you've got product market fit, you do really need to go for it because if you just keep something a side hustle, it would always be a side hustle. It'll never really go anywhere. Maybe you'll make five or ten k a year, which is fine, uh, but it will never be a million, two, five, ten, hundred million dollar business. It just can't be. You need to go full on at it. You need to quit your job, quit your uni degree, quit whatever, give it a crack properly for 
court three, six, 12 months, give yourself a time frame and give yourself really guard posts. So you can say within six months, I need to raise a pre-seed or a seed round. I need to get to cash flow break even. You don't have to raise, you can, you can bootstrap, but set yourself a really ambitious target and go super hard. This is what incubators like Startmate and Y Combinator are great at doing. And if, you, if you're not at an incubator, you still need to do it yourself. You've got to self-incubate. Find some great mentors or people who have done it before who can tell you really, and really what a great mentor does is give you kind of guide rail, guard rails and say, you've got to get to this by this point. Uh, you've got to raise your series, your series A, your seed round, your pre-seed by this point. Otherwise, you just keep ambling along. So a great mentor will really guide you and tell you the hard stuff of what you need to do. So you've done lots of things right so far, it sounds like, Bonnie. Congratulations on your business. Just now is the time to weigh up all those really difficult decisions. And then you'll know in your head and your heart what the right thing to do is once you consider all those different factors. And based on what you're saying and looking at the site, I'd love you to go for it. I'd love, it. I'd love us to chat in six months' time and, and talk about the business on the show and, and see how successful you've been. And thanks again for the question. That's it for this edition of Ask Adam Anything. Thanks so much for your questions. If you'd like to submit a question, please send a voice recording to info at fromzeropodcast.com. If you're a founder, young professional, or just someone interested in the world of business, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Our producer is Ed Gooden. Our audio producer is Darcy Thompson. And this has been From Zero Podcast with me, Adam Schwab. Hold up. 